The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm your host, Dave Hennessy, and today's guest is Christopher Darcy, the VP of HR at Liaison International. If you don't know about Liaison International, you're about to get a behind-the-scenes look of how the college application process works. They're kind of a middleman in that process, especially with regard to graduate schools. And we hear a little bit more about Chris and an interesting first job he had that really set the tone for his whole career. And he links that quite well. Chris shares some interesting HR practices that support this mission-driven organization. Also, later in the podcast, Chris mentions Christina Luconi, the Chief People Officer at Rapid7, and she happens to be our next guest on the podcast. Look for that posting towards the end of the month. Now, I bring you Chris Darcy. Hello, Chris. It's good to be here at Liaison International, right here in the hotbed of technology at the Arsenal in Watertown. And before we get into uh, your background and Liaison, I think we should tell the listeners how we met. We used to work in the same building in Burlington Mm -hmm. when you were the head of HR at Silverlink. Silverlink. They had a gym. Mm -hmm. And they still do. I think it was built in 1963. (laughs) It still feels like late 60s. Well, they actually upgraded the gym since you left. So uh, new new management, uh, and they're doing a great job. You were working out at lunchtime, like a a great executive, balancing your physical fitness with your work. And I, too, was doing the same thing. Yes, you were. But you thought I had an approach that just made you chuckle. Yes. And um, I'll let you embarrass me. So I I would, again, proper workout attire, you know, mind and body, wellness is what we talk about in HR. David was doing what I call the executive workout, suit and tie, doing his curls and watching the news. I, this is, I think you're embellishing a little bit. I think it was casual Friday, and I might have had jeans on and a shirt like this, and I did a couple pull-downs yeah. while we were watching the Masters right. tournament. I think you, you've exaggerated that story. I, I think our listeners should know that Brooks Brothers now is in the, uh, the sports apparel business as well, so look, look out, look out uh, you know, Under Armour and Nike. <laughs> I think it'd be great um, just before we start and talk about Liaison and what you're doing here, a lot of exciting things and very interesting mm-hmm. company, just get a little bit about your background, how you got into HR mm-hmm. and you know some of your early life experience that helped shape who you are as a, as a person. Sure. I mean, I, I grew up in, uh, in Brockton, Massachusetts and uh, you know the son of teachers and coaches and nurses. So and boxers. Who, and, and boxers and, and folks who were doing things for the greater good. You know, So that was my path. Uh, in high school and college was at least, you know, getting into something either nonprofit uh, or something that was helping people get better. And my first job out of out of college really was helping out these displaced companies when in the early 90s, these companies were uh, were really moving and offshoring their labor, really not offshore, but really down to the south. And so these neighborhoods in these towns like New Bedford and Fall River had this influx of displaced workers who lost their job for no fault of their own. And the state had to look to reemploy these folks. This is back in the, in the, in the, the late Reagan, I mean, the late Bush, in, in, so in this the Clinton like years. Early 90s? 92, 93, yeah, sure. where um, you had this real. Not put, a good economy. No, it was, it was really bad. Yeah. And my job was to help these displaced workers find new jobs. Now, this is before the internet, before email, really. So 
What I did. So you were in my business. You were in the sort of outplacement business. Absolutely. But, but not really. <laughs> right. We had a big budget for training. But my job as a job developer was really to knock on doors and, and to the employers within those communities. So my job is to make sure I want to tie in the local residents to the communities, especially in these tight knit towns like Fall River, New Bedford, Taunton, and Brockton, where keeping the folks employed, keeping the families intact were super important for education and culture and just, again, this is pre-technology, actually literally walking, you know, knocking on doors. We had a lot of... So you're actually trying to go find job openings for these displaced workers. Correct. You'd go call on businesses Correct. and say, I have this population mm -hmm. of workers that have these skills. Right. Do you have these kind of openings? It was a really fun, interesting labor of love, if you will, back in those days. Mm, I didn't know you had that background. Yeah. So that was kind of the transition to HR, because yeah. that's close to HR, right? That Correct. Is, it really is a lot of HR things yeah. involved in that. Part. And I was and I was, you know, you know, I was at Thanksgiving or a holiday at my at my family's house and my uncle Ray, at that point um, a C level executive at a company called Interactive Data in Bedford and Boston. And he said, Chris, you know what you do? Companies like my companies need that type of uh, kind of thought process with an HR and recruiting. You gotta think about maybe going to you know, the private commercial side and away from don't stop what you're doing, but just think about if you had any inkling going to the private business and back in those days, as you know, David, where, you know, the, the big companies back in the 90s to work for were Fidelity, John Hancock, Scudder, sure. you know, State Street and all that. So, and, and that's, then EMC started popping up correct. at that point. And, and yeah. that's where employment became booming in, that, in those days back in the, the late mid-90s. Mid, mid and uh, my uncle uh, secured an interview for me at Fidelity Investments. And I got hired as a, as, a, um, as a staffing specialist in 94. Mm. And that's when I caught the staffing slash, um, you know, uh, HR bug. And what a great place to learn. A phenomenal the place recruiting to Recruiting yes. and HR. Yes. I mean, there's so many great HR mm -hmm. people that have come out of that. Mm -hmm. What was it like inside Fidelity as a staffing and recruiter? What kind of things did you learn and what skills did you develop there that you might even use today? I think it, a lot of what I learned in person was, I was, was uh, instrumental in me being where I am today, and that's Brian Johnson. And Brian is, uh, you know, a very senior uh, executive at, uh, at Fidelity, and he taught me how to listen where when you did kind of that non-exempt recruiting, where it's really that volume type of recruiting of those sales reps, instead of looking to fill a position, it's really listening to the hiring manager. What do they really want? What are the things they're looking for that's not on the resume or on the job description? So really kind of getting into those layers of listening and kind of feedback. Brian really gave me those, you know, that skill set to do something that was really interesting in that high volume recruiting, because we had to fill 25 to 30 seats a month. So you had to do it the, well, but you had to do it fast. Correct. <laughs> correct. And, 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 and Fidelity, which is great, you know, and they had that phrase of, of uh, Kaizen, that constant change. And, mm -hmm. and that's where I learned. Japanese yes, term. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I learned, and, you know, the bones and the infrastructure of HR and staffing. And that was, again, a great place to, to, to kind of build my skill set and knowledge. You know, I've been doing this podcast for a couple months now, and I'm surprised how many HR people started in recruiting or on a recruiting agency side. You kind of almost both, right, mm -hmm. in a way. Correct. Um, so it's not uncommon. So then fidelity to what led to the next role in your career. Yeah. How did you get into the non-recruiting side, or the larger part of HR, the leadership side of it? So, you know, you know, years later, you know, when um, you know, I, I was at Fidelity, then I spent time at Mass Financial Services. Okay. Um, this is when the internet and technology started to boom in like 97, 98. And I said to myself, the longer I stay in financial services, I might miss the boat on this new cool thing, which is called the internet, you know, Netscape, 
back in the day and all <laughs> yeah. of that, right? Right. And I Northeastern grad created right. Netscape. Right? right. And so I knew I had to maybe pivot in terms of my domain and financial services and look to what's going on in technology. And I got hired by GTE Internetworking that now, you know, is now Verizon to jump in there and head up HR for, and wasn't head up, but the manager of HR for their sales and marketing team. Uh, a tremendous organization and built some great relationships that really led me to Silverlink, where great, I, I think one of the best leaders uh, in technology, just some leaders of people, his name is Stan Novak. And Stan was tremendous in kind of uh, learning from him as a great business leader where I was on the HR side. And then Stan went on to found Silverlink back in 2002. Mm -hmm. And years later, we stayed in contact and he, and he called me out of the blue when I was at Iron Mountain and said to me, Chris, you know, I came out of a board meeting and we're going to grow by X percent. The board asked me, what's my HR strategy? And I said, it's Chris Darcy. So he said, let's go. Let's, let's, <laughs> and let, that, that brought you here, let's, the liaison. Yeah. Uh, no, to, to Silverlight. Oh, to Silverlight. Yeah, okay, and okay. He, yeah. and, he, and he said, he said you know, let, let's get the band back together. Okay, right. And that's when I spent five years at Silverlink with, uh, with Stan, building out a great healthcare communication company. Wait, you said space. he was a great leader. What made him a great leader and what did you learn from him? Stan was a person who could really, um, you know, besides Brian Johnson at, at Fidelity, Stan could really inspire people in a way that really got into their, you know, what makes them tick. You know, he was really good at finding that diamond in the rough in terms of an employee and talent and get them to really emotionally invest in the company. And that at that time, even today, that's something you really bring here to liaison is finding that emotional investment, not only in individual folks, but also teams in general. And how did you make the transition to this organization? So we were going through an, an acquisition at Silverlink, and, and I realized quickly that the people who I worked with probably weren't going to be around the next phase, the next evolution of the company. And that's when I got a call from Hydrogen Struggles and heard about this company. And, of course, I heard oh, Liaison International, Higher Ed. You know, I thought initially Higher Ed seems kind of sleepy, not as really dynamic as the things I want to do. But the more I learned about the business and, of course, uh, learning quickly that Warburg Pincus was their investor and knowing the, the private equity world so well, I said, geez, if Warburg is behind this company, I better take the meeting. <laughs> and I met, uh, I met the founder, George Haddad, uh, our CEO at the, at the time, Michael Berenger, and fell in love with the purpose-driven, mission-driven of what this company is about around higher education and tying in technology as well. So um, I really thought that was the right time to jump. I, I had long discussions with my CEO, Stan Novak, at Silverlink, and he said, listen, this sounds like this is really, this is this is a good move for you. You should take this. Mm. And I think I implore any HR executive out there that if you have that real strong relationship with your CEO, you can talk about anything if that relationship is strong, good or bad. And, and I, I, I leaned on and really cashed in my chips in terms of my relationship so I could have that Hard conversation, really. It wasn't easy. I mean, right. to this day. You actually involved him in the decision, yeah, it sounds and, like. And, yeah. and, and because I respect him so much and I, and I respect what he's built, I didn't want to leave to leave. I, want, I wanted to walk him through why I was thinking about leaving. And I, I think people don't, they fear that, that conversation. But if you have built a strong relationship, you should lean into that relationship. You should shoulder into that and have that. And I think I wouldn't be here if I didn't have that relationship with Stan mm -hmm. to allow me to explore this opportunity at Liaison International. Can you tell us a little bit about this business? Because it's unique. I mean, I don't think there's any other organizations around here that do this work. When I heard about it, I'm like, wow, I didn't realize that that's the way the application process right. works for higher ed. So could you tell us a little bit about what you really do? Sure. And most listeners out there would think about online admissions. They think about the Common App, right? That kind of really manages the undergrad world of admissions. What we do is really, we really dominate the grad side of admissions, specifically in the health professions. 
So, uh, you know, we really, the company was really started by having great partnerships with all the, the healthcare associations in this country, from nursing to, to dental to ophthalmology to veterinary medicine and all that. So what George Haddad, our founder and CEO, did is built tremendous relationships with the higher ed associations in the health profession world. And what they did is that they partnered together to sell what we call a CAS, a centralized application service, to their member schools. And so what would happen so is... So these are medical schools, nursing schools. Correct. Dental okay. schools. Dental schools, uh, right. You, know, you think of your, think of, you know, all, you know, um, osteo, all of it. Okay, uh, right, right. You know, uh, pharmacy as well, you know, things like that. Any graduate school program that has something to do with medicine or health. Or, or you know, health profession, right. correct. So, so, what, so what George did is built this company solely on that relationship with those associations. What they did is that they really partnered and marketed to their member schools saying, this is the reason why you should move your admissions practice to this CAS. So it would be nursing CAS, which would be um, PT CAS, which is physical therapy or osteo or dental. And once in higher education, once people see this is a real standard, they all follow. And I think that's the secret sauce that George found is that once you found a real interesting way to apply that was best for the applicant and most importantly, best for the school. Because what we also do is take a lot of the operation and administrative uh, work off of the admissions officer desk, meaning we, we verify transcripts all day long. We do GPA modeling. We do what's called coursework entries. So a lot of that, they don't do that. You so, do so now we do it. So, yeah. so if I'm Boston College in the Boston College Nursing School, I have more time as an admissions officer to build a better class because I'm not inundated with the busy work of admissions. So, so you just present the top, a verified, a, a verified the top candidates, the yeah, top or, or really um, applicants, or a best fit candidate, right? The best fit candidate, where the application is kind of is is, is mirrored with the, the, the verified application. It's a fully vetted, if you will, quote unquote, right? Uh, applicant. What they said the is true, and now it's up right, to the yeah. school to make that decision. Obviously, right, when, right. When, we're not in the selection business. Right, we're in the we're, we want to kind of buff up and give you as many great best fit applicants as possible. I see. So it's better for the school because they can build a better class because they have more time. And it's better for the applicant because they have a more of a shot to get in because of the time now the admissions officer has, has time to potentially select somebody because they, they're not busy with the transcript or the administrative or the operational duties. It streamlines all of it. Yeah, and that services business really is what separates us in, in, this, in this world of admissions management. There are other companies that we compete with that are all about the easy to apply, the application, and the software. But we tie together the software, which is really cool. Our UI is really interesting. Coupled with really strong, we hang our hat on service delivery, which is really the hard labor. And we tie that together. And really what's interesting is that nobody in the country, if not the world, does this. And we hmm. do it here in Watertown. So it's an interesting concept that as, we're, as, as our growth uh, projections, David, are going away from health profession, going to the non-health profession association deals like law, business. Oh, you're moving into those into architecture. You're moving into these fields, correct? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. But taking a core, still graduate, yes, still focusing yep. on the graduate. And Why a, not the undergraduate? Well, Is it what's, okay, we'll get into that. Okay. So at, that's a core business. We signed a deal with the Common App, as I mentioned earlier, and the Common App is like us. They dominate undergrad, as I said before. We dominate grad. And what the Common App said to us is that we really love and been watching Liaison for years. We love your technology. What they're realizing today is the path from senior in high school to freshman year undergrad is not such a direct line anymore. It's more non-traditional. You're taking gap years. There are financial issues around 
the cost of education, there's military service. There's not just this, oh, yeah. you're a junior in high school, you apply in your senior year, you go and you're, right, it's Correct. not like that. And yeah. so Common App schools were now finding a non-traditional applicant then coming right from high school or prep school into, and they realize the application to manage that is much different. And even the transfer It's closer way. to what you do with Correct. graduate. And, and they said, can you guys help us build a great, what's called a non-traditional application, help us kind of really identify and really match that potential applicant school to those, to, to our client schools. And we're doing that right now. It's a tremendous relationship we have with the Common App. Mm. Um, you know, we sing from the same sheet of music. We have great leaders. We, and I think that's a relationship us, it's almost like, you know, to bring it back to the 80s, it's like the Wonder Twins coming together. And, and I think <laughs> we enjoy that relationship with, with, with Common App, and I think that I like that us show. and them the can really, show oh, great. fantastic, <laughs> 11 o'clock ABC. So it's a really, uh, it's a unique uh, business model with that partnership for us to, to uh, dip our toe into the undergrad world. And I think for us, you know, we're just looking at, you know, more opportunities to really apply our domain expertise. And not only do we help you know, when it's the high admission season, we have great domain experts in this company that help these associations kind of see around corners. So, for example, if the pharmacy schools don't see those numbers, you know, you know why is our application numbers going down? Why, why aren't people applying to pharmacy schools anymore? We help them and say, well, you know, this is the reason why we're seeing a dip in pharmacy applicants. Well, mm -hmm. we see nursing spiking or we see veterinary medicine spiking. We ah. help them kind of look at their business as they well. Because you're seeing all of it. You can Absolutely. see the trends and present them back to them. Correct. Interesting. Correct. By the way, this is just an aside. Do you use this applicant process to hire your own people here? Do you use any of your own software that you use for the higher ed inside HR to hire employees here? We, we do some of that. Okay. So we, we kind of eat our own our dog, uh, eat yeah. our own dog food a little bit. There's a company that we acquired in 2014 called Spectrum, and one of the great products is called EMP, the Enrollment Management Platform. And it really helps and identify small schools to recruit and identify the best fit student to come to their school. Now, you came here, um, did you say, was it five? How many, you just told me how many years? Uh, yeah, about four, four, four years. Four yeah. years ago. Mm -hmm. And... In around that time, you were going through a culture shift at mm -hmm. this organization, mm -hmm. a culture shift, and you had a new president. And um, can you tell us a little bit about the evolution since you've been here? I know you and your HR team have been working on that and have made some great strides. This company, yeah, this company prior to the acquisition of Warburg Pincus was a tremendously successful company. They were they were small and they dominated this really niche space of admissions management, but it wasn't a high growth dynamic company, meaning. You know, they had X amount of partnerships, and they knew they, they could really forecast out year to year how the year would look like. Again, not like any other services-based company with a real installed base of customers that weren't really going anywhere because they dominated this space of, of higher ed. And once Warburg vested in uh, Liaison, of course, they're looking to be dynamic and what's next and, and growth and all that. And for me coming in here, you know, it was really a way to look at our talent internally get people inspired about what's next for this company, find some uh, internal champions and leaders, and really look at taking some real talented people who were doing one task, for example, and training them to do two or three tasks and realize what we're doing is good, but we could be great and we want to win. And this is why that we're going to win and dominate uh, this business. But it wasn't easy. People liked what they did. Obviously, they were here you know, and they liked their job and they liked the pace of what we did. And to really help and, and, and um, get fit, if you will, this company it was a labor of uh, it was it was a lot of work for my team to make sure that 
we weren't the new people coming in here trying to change a tremendously successful company that's been around since 1991, but to really improve all of us as individuals and get better. It was speed. It was really, um, people didn't know each other here. There's a real kind of, you know, our technology team and development and product folks did, you know, one side of the business. And as I said earlier, our service delivery, our operations team was actually the way we're constructed here. We actually, there's two sides of the building. And literally, the culture was two different cultures. And my job was to kind of bring these cultures together. And we did it with just not top down, but I was looking for internal, again, internal leaders, you know, folks who can influence in this company. And we just did a lot of uh, events that tied people together. How did you find the leaders? Through the events or was there other? Sitting down and, and speaking with these employees, you know, really, you know, just shadowing or just showing up to staff meetings, you know, looking at backgrounds and resumes and what, what motivated people? What was their background? So you just so went forth? into the business just, yourself? I, I, you yeah, and your team. You like Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. And just in there. And you have to. And you have to spend Back time. Back to the superheroes. Yes. <laughs> spend time. And the employees have to know that you're emotionally invested in them and in the company. You just can't be a nine-to-five person speaking in platitudes. you got to roll up your sleeves, do the work, and earn the respect of the team. Right. And once we were getting there, and we did this by, again, great rewards and um, recognition programs, social events, um, recognizing the small things and made them big things. Can you tell me about Final Friday? Final Friday was, um, yeah, I would say my second month here, I wrote a, uh, a Jerry Maguire letter to the company. And I said, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> that sounds like it could be risky. It was. <laughs> but I said, you know, we have to, I have to be bold here. If we're going to make change, let's be bold. And um, I wrote a letter about to the company, what are the things we're going to do to get to know each other? How we're going to celebrate, as I say again, small achievements, make them big. How we're going to publicly recognize good work. Because sometimes, you know, in companies like us, the reward for good work is more work. And we want to make sure that that, that we recognize that success. I, I said, we, I also want to get together and know each other and get to know, you know, um, our employees and, and, and build friendships. Because I believe friendships and relationships are key to benefiting uh, the outcome of a business or even a commercial business. So we had a social event, and I called it Final Friday, the final Friday of the month. We would celebrate the work we've done for the month. We would highlight and welcome the new hires of the month, and we would do what's called the UROC Award, where an employee would nominate somebody else for what they've done. Most importantly, that nominee would read their nomination for that person, really connect emotionally, the, you know, that. And that really took off. Mm-hmm. It's really shaking hands, talking about work, but most importantly, talking about each other and our lives, what makes us and why we're here. You know, why do we drive? You know, I, I live in eastern Massachusetts. You know, it's not an easy ride. You know, coming to Watertown is just crossing, it, sometimes crossing it, the Mass Pike. Right, right? Or, yeah, yeah, West Newton into, yeah. into, into Watertown Square. But right. you want to show that is not, you know, a barrier to building a great company. And mm-hmm. why why all of us take the, take this journey to Watertown because we believe in the mission. We believe in what we're doing. And I, and I said to George Haddad, our founder, is a, another tremendous leader I'm going to you know, learn from down the road, as I have with Brian and with Stan, is that we impact people's lives in a significant way every single day. Every day where somebody who's applying to grad school is making a significant life choice. And we have a team of people here who do really customer service reps where applicants are nervous. Did you get my transcript? I forgot my login. Oh, because they the calls come, calls right come in here. Correct, absolutely. Okay. And and so do they know they're calling liaison, or is it like the 
BC number? Or is they it know like, they're calling it, you know, nursing, so the nursing centralized application service. They're calling nursing cast. And we say, okay, well, okay. hello, nursing cast, not okay. hello, liaison international. Right, okay. But, and I, and I always walk the floor with my reps, and, and, and when we're busy, like we are, you know, we're right in the height of our busy season, remember that you're speaking to somebody who's making a life decision. And, and I make sure that in the letters that we have of thank you for helping me make this decision, because now we're the company that helps identify and work with these institutions to find the next doctors, nurses, dentists, things like that. And I take that personally. And when we hire these folks, they have to really understand that every day we're affecting somebody. And I believe in the grad side, that professional uh, designation is so important for themselves, their families, compensation, their community. And there's a real ripple effect to higher education across this country. And I, and I think that we have to make sure that, although we're a high-flying, fast-moving software company, understand the crux and what we're about at the core of this company. Interesting. What's unique about recruiting people to this organization here in higher ed and also in technology and service? It, it, it's unique because we're looking for the same people as HubSpot's looking for, mm -hmm. as uh, you know, Mike Volpe and the guys over at Cyber Reason and uh, you know, Christina over at Rapid7. So we're looking for the same kind of employee, talent. if you will. Right, yeah. But what makes a liaison employee different, David, is that we want to find somebody who is curious, they're inquisitive, and they want to ask questions, right? They want to also be part of something bigger than themselves, but also scratch that itch, which is about high growth technology, cool technology, high growth, being part of a winner, um, and all of that. So I think that's what kind of makes us different in the marketplace. Now, I know if you talk to my colleagues in, in, in technology and software in Boston and Cambridge, they'll say the same things. But when it comes to this world of higher ed and connecting, again, mission-driven you know, or for the greater good, that's really the secret sauce that attracts somebody. Because mm -hmm. once they come in here, David, and they meet our executive team, they meet our staff, we, we got them. We got them. We do, we do a really good job of that as well. And sometimes for the, for the applicant or for the, the person or the candidate, this isn't the right place for them. Mm. And so I think we make that determination quickly as well. I heard you put in a, a very extensive and robust onboarding program, mm -hmm. program mm -hmm. not too long ago. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, as I mentioned early, earlier on when I got here, you know, two things make us different. One is our technology and our software and, of course, our, our, our product. The other is, again, what I think what, what, what makes us famous is that the service operations piece of our business. And my first year here, when we were doing onboarding and hiring like crazy, our new hires didn't get an understanding or an appreciation of the other side of the house. So our developers, our technology people were solely focused in on getting better, doing what they do, skating their Learn lane, skating their yeah. lane, and, you know, and just, just kind of doing that. And the operations side, same thing. And I realized we're, we're missing something, and we're under-clubbing onboarding, where I think a well-rounded, highly educated employee has a, has a real good baseline understanding of our business, our products, and every single asset you know, of our, of our company, right. what makes us great. So what I did is create what's called Liaison University, which is a two-day event, which we're being all of our new hires, all of our operation, because we're, we're in Poughkeepsie, Buffalo, now we're in Dallas, Texas, and we just acquired a company called Time to Track in uh, uh, Charleston, South Carolina. And how many employees altogether? We're now? about, right now, we're about 375. Okay. So, uh, and growing, obviously. So, 
So we would bring the new hires of the month in here. They would the first day is learning kind of the, the, the bones of the company from sales to finance and all that. And we'd have a, we'd have a nice reception that evening where all the executives and the employees would come and meet them in a very social way and make them feel comfortable and relaxed and so forth and kind of get the feel of the culture. Day two, everybody is on the operation side. They're opening mail. They're helping verify transcripts. They're on the phones listening into applicant calls really getting a feel and appreciation of what really what i call santa's workshop or what is really the blood and guts and, and, and what i think the operation is and since then we've really received and also the people who would participate in this and, and really lead that are people in our operations who probably wouldn't have an opportunity to stand up present and to have great pride. And what I found quickly after year four. It's not is that, just for the applicant, no, no, for the new hire. It's, it's for it's our, yes, right. it, it's for a supervisor of of, of transcript app, you know, of, of, right. of transcripts or processing or the mail, where appreciation now they're out in front of, you know, twenty people and we have the executive team there and it's a great way for them to kind of, you know, kind of buff up their skills and, and, and have you know, yeah, pride in their department, uh, pride in their work. Um, yeah, yeah, and a little headline, a little you know, shine some light, and you know, and and, and have the stage. Mm. And that has been a tremendous program for us. Mm. And down the road, as we head into you know going to sixteen, seventeen, and Glassdoor has recognized us last year as as one of the best places. Yeah, to I work. noticed that you have very high Glassdoor rating in two thousand seventeen. If you were to say that to me walking in the door, would you be a Glassdoor? best employer to work for, that's an absolute goal of mine. But I thought it would take a little bit longer to get there. But due to some great employees and great management team and a great founder and CEO who believed in the mission, who believed in what we're doing, and I think a lot of HR people who are fortunate as me to have that relationship with the CEO, the board, and the founder all you know together, that is such an amazing relationship to have. And that helps you as you try to drive culture, spirit, and really inspiring Employees. Mm. You have a reputation of trust and accessibility at all levels of the organization. What do you do to instill that that level of trust that you've developed? A, a lot of folks can give, you know, can speak in platitudes and have a great presentation, but it's about delivery. If you don't deliver the work or deliver a project to your internal client, be it the head of marketing, head of sales, your CEO, your head of your, your CFO, then that trust and that credibility comes into question. Mm. And I think for HR folks who now are pivoting towards as, you know, back in, you know, probably in the early 2000s as what's now called a business partner, right? If you're not part of the business and spending time to learn the business, understand it at a real uh, complex level and deliver HR services that, that inspires and moves their business along, that's where you lose some credibility and you become just the personnel office. Mm. And that's not why I chose this business. Mm. And to me, being a real you know, right-hand person to my executives, but most importantly, being a trusted advisor and counsel to my CEO and founder, that's what I love to do. And I think you do that with doing, you just don't do that by walking in the door day one. You, you earn your keep by, again, doing the work and saying what you do and, and also being present. That's very important. And, you know, we talk about, you know, telecommuting and working from home. I believe what we do as HR professionals, you got to be in the building. Because you cannot plan what's going to happen on a random Tuesday. Mm. And by being here, being present, you know, living the brand 24-7, I think that's, that's incredibly important to... And having all those relationships absolutely. throughout the organization, right. right? What do you see that some of the biggest changes you've seen in the function over the last several, you know, 10 years or so? I've seen much more 
on, on the recruiting and talent acquisition side, it's it's more innovation and technology early on that now what I like is they're bringing more of that evaluation process into the decision-making process. For example, you know, the predictive index, I really love. I love the PI. I love the folks over, over in Wellesley. Mm-hmm. Right, head, headquartered locally here. Yeah, yeah, right. And I think bringing as many tools as you can to do the assessment up front, to poke, prod, stretch your, 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 your candidates, is what makes, I think, our profession changing and becoming more indifferent. Years ago, post a job, you know, if you build it, they'll come. Right. Now I think bringing the creativity and kind of the art into recruiting, I really, I really love. Because I grew up recruiting, obviously, as I said earlier, at Fidelity, which is all about the phone. And the phone, the phone, the phone. If you're not calling people, talking with them, building a relationship with candidates, you're going to lose that connection to really acquire and bring folks in here. And I, so I think how we have blended technology and now brought back the creativity and the art of recruiting, I love. So looking forward, what's, what changes do you see coming in the HR function? Or what do you want to see as the next evolution for the function? I would like to see, honestly, you know, I would love to see the next founder CEO of a company or a brand or a product become coming from the HR world. Hmm. I would love to see that. I know, again, not to go back to Fidelity, but you look at Jim Kirby, and Jim was, uh, you know, um, Ned Johnson's COO for many, many years in the 80s. Jim came from HR. And, you know, I, I, li- I would love to see, you know, the new founders in the next generation come from my world. Hmm. And I think that a lot of HR folks, you know, might not be given the benefit of real smart business acumen, but I would love to see somebody in my profession become a founder, an entrepreneur, uh, you know, be part of, you know, a real venture capital or private equity company that's about identifying trends, identifying um, kind of industries and acquiring companies and being a CEO. That's mm. what I would love to see. Mm. Yeah, and we're seeing some people come into HR that haven't been in HR Right. Before. Do you do that? Do you bring people into your HR group that haven't, or here or in the past, that don't have HR Typ- backgrounds? Typically, well, again, what I like to see early on, we said, you know, what is the you know the DNA or the table stakes yeah. for liaison employee? Again, curiosity, being inquisitive, solving problems. And I think those three things are the, are the tenors of a good HR rep, mm. a good HR manager. Mm. I haven't done that yet here, mm. but I would not be close-minded to having somebody who came from uh, product management or who came from, you know, marketing or sales, Mm. who I think want to get an HR not because of, quote, unquote, people or culture, but it's about building a business and outcomes and impact. Mm. That's what I look for. Well, we've come to the point of the podcast where we ask the nearer question of the podcast. And what, what advice would you give to young HR professionals that are already in the function but want to move up in the function? You've had a, a great career path. What would you recommend to them? I would say if you have the opportunity to learn or go to business meetings, to, to go to the sales meeting, go to the weekly uh, marketing meeting, go to the weekly strategy meeting, for example, if you can get your toe in the door and learn the business and show that you can add value as a business partner, not just as an HR administrator, you're going to move quickly in your career. Because if you can show that you're leaning into the business and knowing Again, why we're here, which is driving revenue and bottom line and EBITDA. If you can show your, your, your impact to that, mm. your career will take, specifically here in technology and software in New England, that is what is going to make you, is going to separate you from your competition or peer group right now. If you could write a letter, 
of advice to your 30-year-old self, a little career advice to your 30-year-old self, what would you write? Patience. And I think, you know, sometimes just, you know, for me personally, you know, I, I tend to have really good instincts and kind of act on the instinct. Mm-hmm. But I think my 30-year-old self would act quick too, you know, quickly instead of really taking time, have some pace, and learn and listen and be patient. Get more information. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think being earnest and wanting to do the right thing and yeah. check that box when you're, you know, getting your career started, especially in your early 30s, that's okay. But I think if I could write the letter, I would say that. How do you define leadership and how do you hire for it? I mean, you mentioned some assessment tools. There's more than that, though, too, right? It is. I mean, you know, leadership to me is, you know, somebody who not only can can really um, can own the room, if you will, in terms of their uh, their language, their speech, how they connect with people, a real good connector. But it's somebody, going back to what I said, is doing the work. So a leader... I think is somebody wouldn't ask you to do something they wouldn't do themselves. And I've learned from people who did the opposite. They would they would just tell you what to do. But to me, leadership is about doing the work. It's staying late. It's doing the, the hard work. It's doing the remember, you know, back in the day before, you know, you know, when, when the Boston Globe Sunday was the big Sunday edition of Monday right. and Tuesdays, you're you're date stamping resumes. You're, you know, doing the envelopes. And I learned early, you know, working for Brian's organization that Brian's managers and VPs were with me doing the envelopes, doing the hard work. And to me, that's leadership. And also, just one last thing, I think it's important. I think when you talk about my background and so forth, and you know, early on and, and, and coming from a, uh, a really, you know, you know, prove it to me type of city like Brockton, I, I wouldn't be here without my parents. And my dad was, was an inspiration to me, um, one of the great teachers and coaches in Brockton High School history. Um, again, I learned a lot from him of being a leader. And my mom, who was um, you know, a real um, uh, inspirational person and a, and a mom who was a fantastic nurse and what she did in her, in her profession, without that leadership from my parents, David, I wouldn't be here. And that's what led me when I said early on about connecting family and employment to success. And I, again, I, you know, we talked about my inspiration and kind of mentors in, in business, but I wouldn't be here without my parents, that's for sure. You know, as you look back, when your career is all said and done, what do you hope to be remembered for? I want to look back and look at the folks that I've mentored, leave my fingerprints on something of significance. That's either a business that really that did something special and changed the game in terms of whatever that domain was, like in our world, we changed the way that people apply to school or the way that institutions of higher education change the way they do their admissions and selection process. But most importantly, I want to look back at the people who work for me, and I want them to be vice presidents, CHROs, and look at how it's changed their lives and that knows and families, and leave that you know that Belichick or Parcells tree, if you will, mm. of great leaders. Now I get some silly questions for you. Good. What gives you energy? I think, to me, it's knowing the responsibility I have for this business and for people. That if I don't bring my energy, if I don't bring you know, I think the passion of what I have, then I'm not doing my job. And I think I get that from the expectation we have of this company, of the people who I see every day, um, and most importantly, my family. And I believe that without getting myself wound up and getting myself really to that place of to, to, to perform, I do this. We talk about company and, and who you work for, but my company is back in Easton. It's my family. So that's what really gives me energy is my two children and my and my wife. And I think that's 
that's what I that's what I look at every day on my desk when I drive home. I'm doing this for them. Great. And uh, your favorite movie? Slapshot and Goodfellas. <laughs> with a little, with a little Forrest Gump sprinkled in. <laughs> a, a trifecta of trifecta, movies, right? Yeah. And uh, you know some some of the Brockton stuffs coming out there. Those are some little r- bit. some rough movies, yeah, right? Bit. Some of them. Yeah. Well, Chris, this is great. Thank you so much for taking the time and having me in to have this discussion. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.